Amen. Well, it's a blessing to be here with you guys. Uh, I always find it a joy to be able to travel and share the word. Um, for myself, you know, it's always um, a great time to that I have been able to be used by the Lord. I count it a privilege to be here with you guys uh, this morning. And uh, Joel uh, and his precious family, they're, they're good people. And uh, Joel has always been a dear friend. And yeah, every time he'd come in uh, to the States from uh, Belize, we would have him there at Living Way in the city of Fontana. The church loves Joel and uh, always blessed by his encouragement. Um, so before we get into uh, the message in and of itself, I would just like to share a little bit about myself. Um, so that way there's a little bit of context on who I am. As Joel had shared, I am a pastor in Southern California. I've been pastoring the church Living Way Christian Fellowship, which, which is a church that I pioneered and planted in a backyard. And uh, it has grown to a great ministry, a great group of people, not because of me, but truly because of the people that serve in this fellowship. We are an inner city church, and so a lot of our ministry uh, really ministers to the down and out and, uh, you know, the rough side of town. But uh, the people that congregate there are um, very affluent people, business owners, retired law enforcement, correctional officers. It's just a great, great ministry to have uh, in that type of community in that area because it has just brought a, uh, along with the gospel, obviously, the, the individuals are the instruments that God uses uh, to proclaim his truth to those that need hope in a community like that. And so, um, you know, I, I, I don't take this lightly. You know, we are in the highest crime rate area of our city, and I've never had no desire to move. I says, this is the place we need to be. I know this is where God has called me. So a little bit about myself. You know, I obviously wasn't always a pastor and uh, spent, uh, you know, several years of my life incarcerated. And uh, when I was 18 years old, I beat a 40-year-to-life sentence and uh, still spent about five and a half years of my life incarcerated. And as, you know, as a result of growing up in the, you know, urban community there in the city uh, of Ontario is where I grew up. I got involved with, with most Hispanics, uh, uh, you know, in, in that type of environment, get involved with drugs and gangs. And uh, that's exactly what happened with me. I became uh, what they would call a product of my environment. And I did what I felt. I thought I knew what was right and ended up with a lot of problems in life. And it took some years, you know, for me personally. I, I uh, moved out the house when I was 12 years old and been on my own ever since. And it's only by the grace of God that I stand here today proclaiming the truth of God's word. And um, to this day, people are blown away. They, you know, I still pastor probably about 15, 20 minutes from where I grew up. And it just, for whatever reason, that city where I'm at now, it's like everybody from where we grew up is like migrated there. So there's, there's a constant, you know, running into people we know, but it's always an amazing thing for people to see the work and the power of God. And, you know, just listening to some of these songs, I say to myself, you know, God is still in the business of transforming lives and, and doing a work, you know. And I want to encourage you, uh, you mothers and grandmothers, and, uh, you know, I am a product of a praying mom. And if you have a prodigal, don't stop praying for them. You know, I'll share a story with you guys. When I was fighting this sentence, you know, and I thought to myself, well, you know, it, it's not bad. You know, they're going to give me, you know, 40 years to life. I'll probably do about maybe 30 some years out of that. I'll be out in my 50s, 60s, you know, it's just the way I was thinking at that time. I didn't really care. 
had a lot of buddies in there. Most of them were already facing life sentences and stuff. And so I'll never forget the day we go. Uh, my mom actually comes to visit me. And um, I, I thought for a moment there, you know, okay, we'll, we'll, see what, we'll, we'll see what's going on here, you know. And I put her through so much. And um, I remember she comes and she says, you know, she says, you know, mijo, mijo is like son, okay. So, you know, we're, we're Mexican, man. We're hood, you know. So she says, you know, mijo, she goes, you're not going to spend the rest of your life in prison. So in my mind, I'm like, well, you got me an attorney or what? You, you know, we don't have no money. We don't have no money. So I thought like, man, you go South Tamales at Walmart or what did you do? Because we, you know, we don't got no money, you know. And she's just like, no, when you were a little boy, she says, I took you to a church service. And you seen people going up for prayer and you wanted to go up. And she says, and I walked in and she began to tell me the story. There were two emotions that were happening simultaneously. One, I was remembering and recollecting what she was talking about. But two, I was getting very upset because uh, I, I was I was a very selfish man. And I'll never forget that she looked at me and she says, and as we walked to the front for prayer, this man that was ministering was an evangelist. And he said, God has a call on this little boy's life. And he says he's going to be a pastor one day. And he told her this. But there's going to be a period in his life where this doesn't look like it's going to happen. This is what he told my mom. These were his exact words. He says, but you hold fast to the promises of God's word and watch what he's going to do. When she told me that, I got so upset with her. Like I said, I was very selfish. I told her off. A lot of foul language. Hung the phone up on her and I told her, I don't need your Jesus. I don't need your religion. I need an attorney. I'll never forget what happened. So I go back into the unit, you know, with my buddies, you know, in there. And like, yeah, man, you know, how was your visit? You know, I said, man, she's talking that Jesus stuff, man. I ain't into all that, man. You know what Jesus is going to do for me? He, where was he at? Where was he at when I was caught up in the mix? You know, I was used heroin for a number of years. That was my drug of choice. I started shooting up before I was a teenager and used from the age of nine till I was 21 years old and was only clean maybe six months out of that whole time. And uh, I was a dope fiend. And uh, they says, oh, man, you know, the moms, you know, they just want to, no, no, no. I says, you know, the way we used to talk back then. Nah, she's tripping, man. She's on a good one, man. You know, I was the one that was on a good one. But anyways, all of a sudden, I remember being very upset with her. I go to court. I'll never forget this. Public defender, because we couldn't afford an attorney, comes and pulls me aside and says, we need to talk. He says, okay, what's going on? He says, I got good news and I got bad news. I said, well, give me the bad news. You're going to prison. I said, yeah, I expected that. I said, what's the good news? He says, you're being acquitted on some charges that, that would give you a life sentence. I said, so what does that mean? He goes, that means that you're only just going to do a couple of years. I'm like, where's the pin? Let me sign right now before anybody changes their mind, you know, kind of thing. And I remember I signed this paperwork, and I'm walking back to the bus to take it back to the county jail. And this thought hit my mind. What if God is real? And what if what my mom says was true? I spent the next several years of my life incarcerated in some of the most violent prisons in the state of California. And uh, I believe right there is where the Lord got a hold of my heart. And um, he delivered me from my addiction of heroin. It completely delivered. No withdrawals, nothing. It was just a simple prayer. He came into my life, radically transformed me. I get out of prison and... The Lord just immediately pulled me right into the ministry and I just I've been serving the Lord since and have not looked back once faithfully serving God. You know, it's an exciting thing. So 
you know, it's cool because, you know, I got retired law enforcement, you know, that are, you know, elders in the church. And we always joke around, you know, and stuff like that. And uh, it's a blessing. And the building that we have across the street from our church was the parole office where I was on parole at. So I used to go test and I used to see this building on the corner and my buddy lived across the street. He used to sell drugs. So I used to go drink water over there so I can test for my PO. And I'm sitting there. I always thought it was a Catholic church. Now I'm the senior pastor of that church. And the parole office building became available about five years ago, and now we have it. And my office is where me and my parole officer used to meet. <laughs> it's an amazing thing, but, but God is good. And, and you know, guys, listen, you know, it's, it's been an amazing experience throughout the years. We have a recovery home. I house guys that are finishing their life terms. You know, we just got a young man that was, went in when he was 15 years old. He's 35 now. He's been home four months, and he's been with me. And uh, the director of our program was in for 23 years. He went in when he was 18 years old. And uh, we just hired him on staff about three years ago at our church. And so we have this program where we help these men that truly have a desire to be integrated back into their communities and, the, and back to their families, you know. And um, we also have uh, a school, a K through 12 school. Who would, have ever, who would have ever thought I'd be a principal? You know, all the little kids come out, Pastor David, Pastor David. I always tell my staff, when I'm discouraged, I'm just going to go upstairs to the school because those kids love me no matter what, you know, <laughs> kind of thing. They always make me feel wanted, you know, so. But anyways, um, yeah, so we have, you know, a college and a school. We have several churches that have come out. I, three years ago, I went to India and planted a church out there, and, and now four churches have come out of that church in Pakistan and and like uh, Pastor Joel was saying, you know, there in Haiti, we've come alongside some ministries there. And so it's just been a blessing to be able to do what God has uh, opened up and called us to do. So I just want to encourage you praying moms, grandmas, do not stop praying. My mom sits third row from the front right there every service. Most of the time she's in tears, not because it's some amazing message but because she's seen the promises of God fulfilled. And it's an amazing thing to see. So I just want to encourage you guys with that. Let's open up our Bibles this morning to 1 Samuel chapter 30. And as you find your place there, we're going to go before the Lord in a word of prayer. And let's, let's ask God to bless this time that we have together. Father, we do come before you this morning and we thank you for this day. We, Lord, know that as your word declares, this is the day that you have made. And we will rejoice and be glad in it. And Lord, we are so thankful that we can come today and our lives can be instruments that are used for your honor and for your glory. Father, I pray that as we open up your word, that we would open up our hearts and our desires to know you more. This walk of faith that you have so graced us with, Lord, is a journey. And there are milestones. There are times where there's great growth. There are times when there's great struggle and adversity. There are times, Lord, when we need to be reminded of the promises of your word. And Lord, every believer finds themselves at some point in this journey. Father, I pray this morning that your word would speak to all of our hearts. That we would be reminded, Lord, of the privilege that we have to serve you. And God, I pray that as we look to your word, that you would speak to us. Make known to us the truths of your word, Lord. For some, there are prayers that, that um, need an answer. And Lord, it is only by your grace and through your word that we receive that. So Lord, I pray that you would reveal things today, that there would be a revelation in our heart. So speak, Lord. Your servants are listening. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.
I want to start with the story here in the book of 1 Samuel. I've always been, uh, you know, uh, blown away by the life of David, uh, the king of Israel. And several years ago when I took my first trip to Israel, I had the privilege of going to the city of David and every trip now since then we've, we've gone to this place. But, but what blew me away is very early on, this was like 2014, 2015, I went on this trip and I was blown away by the tour guide that we had. Because it seemed that as he spoke about David, he spoke about a man who in some degree was still alive, kind of like David lives on forever. And this tour guide was not a Christian, but I seen the reverence, if you will, and the pride that would come up as he spoke about David. So I thought to myself, man, David must be a big deal over here. And to this day, they say he is the greatest king that Israel ever had. I've always been fascinated by David's life, and we know that there's only been one man in Scripture that's been recorded by God of saying that he is a man after my own heart. It's David. This was said prior to, to David's victories, and also David had some not-so-great experience in his life. There were failures as well. But all the while, when you look at the span of David's life, you see one thing that remains true, and if you want to title this message in your notes... Title it, The Promises of God That Carry Us Through the Promises of Trials. You see, the Bible does promise trials in our lives. Jesus made it very clear in John chapter 15 and verse 33. Jesus told the disciples, in this life you will have trials and tribulations. But Jesus said, do not fear for I have overcome. Paul the apostle in writing to the church at Philippi, to the believers there, he said to them, for it has been granted for you in Christ to suffer for his sake. You know, these people get all these, you know, the, 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 the what do they call it? The 5,000 promises of the Bible. You know, those cute little books, you know. They get them and they start reading all the promises because they want to hear all the good stuff, you know. And, but they fail to leave out the promise that you will suffer for Christ's sake. They're like, no, 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 no that's, not, that's not a promise. No, it is. It's without a doubt a promise. And we often wonder why these things happen. But I think in David's life, for the most part, like Peter said in 1 Peter 4, Peter begins to talk about there's two ways we can suffer. Sometimes our suffering is brought upon by who? Absolutely. I'm so glad you guys are responding. In a living way, we respond. You know, well, you know, all that. I'm just kidding. <laughs> I do got a congregation that responds, though, so I'm okay with that. I love it. But anyways, it's so true. And sometimes it is brought upon by us. That's exactly what Peter says. But he warns us, don't suffer for that reason. But then he also says that we suffer for the sake of Christ. Oftentimes I realize that it's God who reveals to us the very truths of his word to encourage us and remind us. As the Bible says, he who has begun a good work in you will surely complete it under the day of our Lord Jesus Christ. You know... In the fellowship at our church, we have a congregation. I call them the seasoned saints. You know, those are the ones that are about, they're still young to me. Those are the ones that are, you know, 50, 60 years old, the seasoned saints. They have their own little ministry going on. Then you get the ones that are a little bit more older. And those are the ones I like to hang around with. You know, the youngsters there, you know, they got this whole thing like, we got it. And I'm like, no, you don't. But the older crowd, they get it. I thank the Lord that he's blessed me with elders in the church. I am the youngest 
elder in our church. All the rest are older than me. And boy, I'll tell you, I love to hear my assistant pastor who is 78 years old say, this is my pastor. I love that. I'm just like, really, I am? Like, you're old enough to be like my great grandfather, man. You know, it's like, I don't know. I just teasing him all the time. You know, I tell him, you know, his name, his name's Arthur. I says, Arthur, you, you, you know, you're, you're, you know, 70 is all God promises. You're like on nine years borrowed time. <laughs> but that man does more than most of the young men in our church. And when the young men say, what do I got to do to serve here? I says, if you can keep up with that man, you're in. You know what? They give up. They're like, that guy doesn't stop. What's he made of? I said, I don't know, man. All I know is he loves God and he loves God's people. And he knows that God called him to do what he needs to do. You see, it's the older crowd that I realize in all of this that there's wisdom. But then God takes us, matures us, because, see, the older crowd has been there. I often hear the elders in our church say, we've been here before. Pastor Dave, there's only one thing to do. What is it? Pray. Pray and trust in the Lord because God has been faithful in the past. He'll be faithful in the present and he will carry us in his faithfulness to the future. You see, it's in the life of David where he found himself at a crossroads. As a matter of fact, the story is pretty interesting. In chapter 30, it starts with a conflict that David had with the people known as the Amalekites. David, for a period of time, had been being pursued by Saul, the first king of Israel. And remember that it was the people's desire to have a king. They wanted to be like the nations around them, right? And they declared to God's prophet Samuel, they said, make us a king. This is not the first time that God's people demanded from the Lord. Remember Aaron, there when Moses was up on Mount Sinai, what did they say? Make us a God. It was also in round numbers chapter 14 when the people cried out to the Lord and said, make us a leader. This one who you've sent us, Moses, we don't want him. And here they're saying, make us a king. And it's interesting because the Lord told them something about this king that they chose. There in 1 Samuel chapter 8, we see that Samuel begins to explain to them what this king is going to do. And he began to say, he's going to take from you and he's going to this and he's going to that. But ultimately... When Saul's life was coming to a close because the kingdom was literally taken from Saul, the Lord had told Samuel, I have chosen a man after my own heart. It's this man, David, that we're seeing here. A man that was chosen not on the front lines of an army, but a man that was chosen far in the back in the shepherd fields of his father, Jesse. This was a man who had a relationship with God, was very acquainted with fellowship with the Lord. And remember, when Samuel went to go anoint the next king, he had to ask, hey, Jesse, do you have any more children? He's like, yeah, but it's a little guy. You know, he's, he's busy right now. And as the Lord brought David before Samuel, the Lord said, this is him. You see, David was called from the very beginning. He was called with his acquaintance with the Lord there in the shepherd fields, tending to his father's sheep. And what David had to offer was the care that he gave to his father's sheep. If this young man can care for these sheep this way, then he can surely care for my sheep, the people of Israel. It's an amazing truth because this was something that God had spoke into David's life. And David understood that he would one day be the king of Israel, but David didn't become king right away. 
You know, it took some 20 plus years for this promise to be fulfilled in David's life. Ultimately, David does become the king of Israel. But it's the journey that David took. God taught David some very important truths along the way. And I think for us as Christians, all of us are walking this walk of faith and, and we are constantly in the mode of growth. I am so thankful that I'm not finished product. I'm so thankful that God is still working in me, showing me things, allowing me to experience things, even the things that I don't care to experience. But the Lord is saying, David, there's a purpose in this and you must understand and you must know that what I've declared over your life will come to pass because I'm God. And to trust and rest in the promises of God. Guys, let me tell you something. I've been walking with the Lord 18 plus years and I'm still as excited today as I was the first day I came to faith. Can you believe that? No, serious, I am. I, I, you know, I'm kind of toning it down right now. I don't want you guys to tell Joe later, man, you brought a Pentecostal over here, man. This guy's all riled up. Nothing wrong with that. But I am. I'm still very excited. It motivates me to go and win somebody to Christ and share the gospel with someone and, and go and tell them that, that there is hope and that God can change their life. And the message never gets old. And I know that God is not done. The Bible says that all the promises of God are yes and amen in Christ Jesus. This is what Paul writes to the believers at Corinth in his second letter to them. All the promises of God are yes and amen in Christ Jesus. See, the promise that was spoken over David's life is that he would one day be king. And let me kind of set the context here of the story. Well, what happened was when David came on the scene, it was very apparent to Saul that David was his replacement. And remember when everything changed? It changed with a song. Boy, doesn't songs have something to do? They get you in the mood, man. You know, it's like there's some songs I just can't hear. You know, like for me, it's oldies. I like oldies. I don't know about you guys. You know, I wasn't into rap or nothing, that kind of stuff. You guys probably think, oh, he's a gang member. He liked rap. No, I loved oldies. I was a low rider, man. That's it. So I love the music from the 50s and the 60s. Boy, I cut it up, man. I still, to this day, I got a 64. I drive that thing and I play them oldies. And sometimes some of them songs, I got to stop it. Like, whoa, they just took me back. But a song can change some things. You know, a song changed the whole course of Saul's direction with David. And the song was that Saul slain his thousands, but David his ten thousands. Boy, it was like at first Saul was like the music. He was coming in, right? 